This is Monica Perez of the Propaganda Report here with Maddie the Vixen, as I like to call her, of the Voluntary (laughs) Vixens. And we are collaborating. We're really just exchanging ideas on a book that we are reading. So we're doing this one step at a time, one chapter at a time, if you will. We are both reading Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos. Now, as somebody who is an anarcho-capitalist morphing into a an uh, agoraphile, I frequently people misunderstand and think that chaos is something that I like, that that's essential to anarchy. But in reality, if you have an ordered life and mind, you don't really need that overarching control mechanism that we seem to be going more and more towards. And I have found in this book that there are a lot of really good points about how to be a responsible person and, and mental health will follow. It's very old school. So I'm going to start with the first chapter. Um, Stand up straight with your shoulders back. I love it. It starts with the Mm. basics. But first, I should probably say, hi, Maddie, how you doing? <laughs> hi, Monica, I'm doing great. And um, per the rule one, I literally just sat up straighter and I was able to take, guess what, a fuller breath. Like it's something just so simple and physiological that happens when you have the proper posture to face the world and it's and it's craziness, the chaos that's out there. So doing better now. I feel, I feel that too. Like the older I get, I'm trying to tell my kids like, oh my gosh, good posture is so important. Like your back won't hurt. You probably won't get like uh, acid reflux, like all the things that you're going to get later in life because you didn't pay attention to even the little muscles and stuff. And actually it seemed totally metaphorical for a state of mind when I first read it, stand up straight with your shoulders back, but it's quite literal. And, in, in, you know, he has the, an analogy. The whole thing is based on the weak, the dominant lobster versus the weak lobster. We can get into that. But it, right out of the gate, he's like, you need to get enough sleep. You need to eat breakfast. And, and he really, yeah, he's good. And he really nailed it. He said, you have to get up. You have to get out of bed at the same time every day. And that's what I tell my kids because you can't decide when you fall asleep. You can lay and I cannot do that at all. But if you get up at seven o'clock every day, you're probably going to sleep at 11 o'clock every night. You're going to fall asleep. So I, I really, he's got a lot of practical tips. I, I know people have some criticisms of him because of his political impact and a lot of other things that he's done since this book. But this was his seminal work, I would say, as far as popular culture goes. He had stuff about um, he's a religion and psychology professor, right? I don't, was he a psychology professor? He's definitely his specialty. Yes. In and, of religion. And, and he was a, um, like actual practicing um, psychologist. Yeah. Which is the so. one that doesn't prescribe drugs. Yeah, he does not prescribe drugs. He's psychologist. A psychologist. Yes. Yes. So, but these are really, they're, they're not your modern feel good, warm, fuzzy woo woo, but I think it's got better advice in here. It's really advice. It's just, it's advice. It is. And it's not a, it's not psychoanalysis. It's advice. And it's a lot of it is good advice in my opinion. And for me anyway, maybe I, you know, I don't have a mental illness, so it might not be for everybody, but it's good. They are good rules for life. So, Definitely. yeah. So. This is probably the one chapter that most people have read who've gotten it. You know, it's actually feels very popular, but it it's you have to it takes a while to get through it. Not just the first chapter, but the whole book. So the first chapter everybody's probably read. And um, just a word of advice to anybody, like I mentioned this, I think when we did a Zoom, Monica, um, with the propaganda yes, report yes. about mm-hmm. mental health. And so I recommend to anybody who's like open and willing to the idea, like sit with the book in front of you and play the audiobook at the same time. Because I have book ADD, I've got, you know, issues like the world going on around us. It's hard to sit with a book, but it's kind of a little bit easier if you're sitting with the book and with this voice in your ear, if you're not opposed to listening to him again. Um, and it really kept you there. And, and because the intonation and like he repeats himself certain times, like, and you actually hear the emphasis of when he does repeat himself. And you hear that in the audio that you don't get that just from the paper. So 
I'd say like it's a really enriching um, process to listen to it too. Would you recommend putting it in the car? This is how I got through Human Action, which is Ludwig von Mises. It's like, <laughs> it's not, I, the, impressive. I don't know if it's more than one volume or what, but the one I have is hard Forever. to lift. And I just, I had, it was on numerous CDs. I literally got them almost free from the Mises Institute and just put them in my, you know, of course you're not pouring over every word, but I, I probably let it run twice, you know, just because you don't hear every little thing. And I find maybe there's something subliminal about it, but do you think it's fine to listen to this in the car or do you think it needs to be really attended to? I mean, I listened to it or I attended to it the first time I'd say, but I go back to it a lot. So even though in the intro, you know, this was, this is not my first time reading this book. So right. I have, re I've revisited a lot of chapters based on my needs, uh, based on where I felt like my life might have been going errant um, and which rule I needed to follow. That's interesting. Can I ask you a personal question that, that maybe doesn't, you can answer it with the depth of personal or not. But mm -hmm. when you, when you look to a book like this, I mean, I, it's not really a self, I guess it is a self-help book. I mean, you're going to help yourself, what else, but it's sophisticated. It's certainly like things that I have rung true in my life that I've discovered mm -hmm. the hard way. But when you say, you know, when you feel like your life is errant or going in the wrong direction, are you talking about major life decisions or, I'm bored at my job or why don't I, you know, why do I dread taking a shower in the morning? Like I, when I was depressed, that was like the one thing I was depressed when I was young, not anymore, but when I was young before I had kids and everything. And I just didn't even want to take a shower in the morning. And that I don't know. Cause I haven't been depressed in so long. I don't know if it would help with that, but, but it does. I did find for me, it helps me order my thinking about what's important and also something that maybe it's a chick thing, I don't know, but I have problems with confrontation, um, courage, Same. like I just don't have that. And I feel like it stems from having a sense that that maybe I expect too much or my standards are too high and that it's invalidating, it's self-invalidating. And he addresses a lot of this stuff, but I just, I wonder for you, are these big problems or small problems or, you know, how have you found this helpful? Um, I'll say that I think it's brought me back from big problems or, you know, throughout the book and we'll maybe get to that at a different point when, um, but as it comes up, but I think like even in the first like few chapters or few rules, he talks about, you know, like what order and chaos is. And so when you're in chaos, like your life can go to hell. And I've, felt that way at times in my life, like in my near, like it's been a few years now, like, but I, and I had to climb my way out of my own holes that I created, of course, like it's my circumstances. Um, so these rules, like at that point when I was dealing with that, it was kind of, it was a bit more self-helpy and like it, but it did get me um, out of very dark periods. And it was just like giving me some, regimented basics of how to care for myself and hold myself and that I mattered. And it, like, even if I was in a shitty place or like this shitty thing happened to me or I effed up, you know, I still, you know, am a person I am on this earth. Like I, it took us millions and billions of years to get here. And it's like, who cares, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like you're just as imperfect as every other person. And that is one thing that I find really poignant in his book is that you need to have compassion for yourself. You need to have self-respect in a way that you are showing other people. And again, a lot of this stuff for me out of the gate was physiological stuff. Like I don't, I, because I have three kids and a husband who are very busy, I'm busy too, but I'm the one who shops and cooks and cleans and everything. And I, I have a thing, like I make sure my kids have a hot breakfast every single day and they don't, you know, it's, I, if I read this book 20 years ago, then maybe they would all be eating the same breakfast every day at least, but I make them what they want because I want them to eat it all. I don't like to waste food and I need them to have 
something to eat. And by the time I'm finished with that, I don't usually do it for myself. And then really I have impatience or whatever. Like it's just, it's not good for the overall sense of well-being, if not actual physical health. And those were the kind of things that I found interesting about his simple approach is that you really need to treat yourself the way other people would treat you. And I think that's the next chapter. (laughs) But in this one, he talks about there's a dominant lobster. It's people I, I have read that maybe it's not like a perfect description of the lobster world, but it doesn't matter at all. Like he could just be making it up, but that the lobster, the one that's dominant that it has, there's the feedback loop. So if you, if you assert yourself and you're confident, people treat you that way. And then you have more confidence and the the one who shrinks away, people know to avoid him because he obviously isn't going to win and won't be relevant and isn't going to have the best like little cave or whatever. And then he knows that because he catches the cues from other people. And so it does get beyond like take care of yourself so that you can like literally stand up straight, which is good for you, but that it affects the world around you and it it gets reflected back to you. And I, I think that is, I think that's true. And I think that's probably harder for women than men. I think men have more of an instinct of that or maybe like the fake it till you make it thing, like the bluff. Yeah. Well, you know, women and men are climbing different hierarchies, technically. In some ways, like, you know, they're all after the same thing. And, you know, I think both <laughs> biologically speaking, everybody wants to be reproductively successful. Um, and, you know, and but women and men have different strategies to do that. And so that is another sort of thing that he plants out for you. And so, like, you know people criticizing him when he became popular and that it was only for guys. And, but I mean, you and I are females here and we were able to <laughs> read oh, that's between so the lines. Funny that you and, should say that because like, when I read it, I was like, well, this is obviously more of the kind of advice that women need, you know, but I didn't realize, like, it seems to be that the stuff he's talking about are easier for men than women. And that it would have the same, because as a woman, like, this is the problem at work. So if you've got a big job, why is it when you assert yourself, you're a bitch? Like, that's the word they use for assertive women. It's like, then you don't want to be a bitch, right? So that's a thing that's really um, ingrained in us. And also combined with the fact that we can be physically intimidated. If the game is to put your shoulders back and stand up straight, I'm never going to be taller than like the average guy. I'm never going to win that in like a head-to-head. And to the extent it isn't really head-to-head, He doesn't really mean it totally literally. There are archetypes there or actual experiences there that inform how you do your face-offs. And it's not necessary to be physically large. You just have to, I think that the essence of it is if you know your, if you, if you know what you want, and this is from also from a later chapter, but if you know what you want, uh, you can, and you really understand it you will know that you can assert yourself because what's the worst thing that can happen? You're in a position where you don't have what you want. Mm -hmm. So if you ask for what you want or assert it or, you know, that it's just, if you expect it, then what's the worst that can happen? You lose out in a place where you were never going to get what you want. Yeah. So if you don't try and advance, if you don't ask to advance, you might never advance. You'll always be the subordinate. But hey, maybe in this one way, you could become a little bit more dominant, climb that hierarchy, get those, uh, you know, serotonin boosts. Um, But actually, so something you just said made me think of something else, but it's like related to this whole concept that, um, like I work with all women, like I'm in management, but I work and direct a ton of girls or not girls, you know, they're women, (laughs) but it's like me and the girls, but well, they're mostly older than me and, and, you know, a a few are younger than me, but it's basically like who I manage is a ton of women. That's hard. And it's really hard. And I mean, not um, because they're women, just, it's hard to be a manager. I mean, that's why they get paid. They're both hard. (laughs) That's that. I love being a waitress. I don't want to be a manager of a restaurant. Exactly. Well, so there you go though. Like there is a natural pecking order. I've got the, like I get paid more 
because I'm responsible for more, but I've shown that I can be, I'm capable of that. And so I've advanced and that's where I'm at. You know, there is a pecking order. And so even though like, you know, it's, it's hard to manage people because I have a, as a, maybe as a female or maybe just as me, I feel like I have a hard time asking people to do things. But yes. I, I get it. I get it across. I get the favor. Like I get the point across. What if it they comes don't back. do it? How do you handle that? Oh, I don't like when they don't do it. Does it <laughs> annoy you, or do you feel like bad? Like I would stay up all night worrying about how to say to somebody, "Hey, you know." You oh, I do. I like. I, I uh, I've lost sleep before of uh, asking simple things. Actually, like uh, you wouldn't imagine how much I'm dealing with with like remote work right now versus oh, not yeah. remote work, and it's really, like, it's much harder to work remotely. As a manager, there, um, I think in some ways, like some people are like, and the way my managing style, um, is basically, and I feel like this relates to the the fact that I'm like libertarian, like I'm, I want people to manage themselves, yeah. but basically, I I let people do that. I don't micromanage. I can't. I don't have time. I don't have the patience or the mindset. I'm not a bureaucrat for it, you know. I'm. I want people to do what they're supposed to do. Like meet the expectations I have of them. Show me what they can do, and then I reward them for it. And um, but like that kind of goes into like this whole first chapter of like these hierarchies the left or, you know, progressives or they want everybody to be the same, but you can't, you, you can never be like there. It's not possible. And, um, and forcing everybody to be the same really takes away a lot of richness and uniqueness and <gasps> that diversity that they, you know, yes, exactly. So it's the parable of the talents. That's all about diversity, you know, of talents. And that's what really matters. So what I wanted to, I wanted to just, I made a few notes. I want to make sure that we hit like what I thought and what you thought was mm -hmm. really um, important about this chapter. So the the first like five things I have are literally about taking care of yourself physically, have um, eating and sleep, regular eating and sleeping habits, uh, wake up at the same time every day, eliminate health issues. So eliminate things that are real problems for you because they will mask. Uh, like I, he says, if you have, if you take away those physical problems, like you're hungry or you're tired, then you can actually get to the real problems if they are anxiety and depression, or maybe they aren't even. I always think anxiety and depression can just be functions of too much caffeine or alcohol. Yeah. Like you might Blood just, sugar. What's what's yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if 90% of that stuff, and they'll never tell you. If there's a pill for it, they'll never tell you to like no, have have a exactly. hot breakfast. And so, the attention thing too, speaking of Oh, the them, attention, like know. attention deficit stuff? Well, yeah. Like um, if people are just like improperly fed or maybe fed the wrong thing, like they could be inflamed and not know it. And there's plenty of things that could oh, be explained yes. mm -hmm. by not adhering to these basic things like get enough sleep and eat properly. <laughs> and, he, and he does get into like specifics like fat and protein for breakfast. Mm -hmm. He said, um, and this I, I found very interesting. And he's like, the sugar cycle can really ruin your day. And it totally can. Once you start that, oh my gosh, exactly. every two hours, you've got to like get back your energy. Keep eating. Yes, it's awful. And um, this... He, I, I didn't even know about this. And again, like, I don't know if he's scientifically accurate about everything, but he says that this, this alcohol thing, like alcohol euphoria or whatever, he didn't use that word, mm -hmm. but that you, cause I always wondered like, why when people are already drunk, should they keep drinking? Like some people just keep drinking and I learned to count. I'm like, I'll have two or three, but people will just, I'm like, you're so drunk. Why would you want to keep drinking? And he says like the, that that feeling is from like the acceleration. It's that you keep increasing the alcohol level. And I'm like, wow, I do think that's true. And I think that's true for drugs and everything. So if you can't handle that stuff, it could be ruining your life and you don't have underlying problems if you can get a grip on, on that stuff. And then there's the other, there's a flip side of that, which is you do have underlying problems and these are self-medication and these, you know, so it is important to make sure that you control whatever you can as far as your physical health goes so that you can identify what the real underlying issues are. And, but the most important thing I found in this chapter, I have a few more comments, but the number one thing um, was in a book. I also read once called boundaries. It's like a classic of, I don't know. I feel like it's like recovering from being overly uh, um, 
like it, it, it uses a lot of scripture and stuff. And it's basically talking you into understanding the difference between being good and being mm. nice. Oh yeah. So it's no favor to your kids to do everything for them or to keep them from crying. It's not a favor for anyone to be that way to them, but boy, it takes a strength that I find difficult to tap into. And he does talk about that. He's like being too nice is not good because tyranny expands to fill the space allotted to it. And predators will find people who are open to that, to who can be taken advantage of. And then think about how you're using your energy to fill up somebody who sucks energy and not necessarily for good things. I mean, you'd be better off doing something that was truly good than getting roped into some, and, and there's a lot of people like that who will find you. And, and it really is irresponsible to give into that. Like, I'm not saying that, um, my kids are like that, but you could create kids like that if they, if they learn those habits. So I was glad that I found that book when I did, because, um, although it's difficult, I think it's important. And he identified it right out of the gate. And then the other thing I thought was interesting was that, you know, this is kind of, it was hard for me to wrap my mind around where he said the capacity for mayhem and destruction integrated is similar to, or whatever is no different from good character. So I guess what he's I need saying, you to say that again. Yeah. He says, I, I mean, I just jotted it down. So it's yeah. not an exact quote, but the capacity for mayhem and mm -hmm. destruction integrated when they're integrated are similar to, or not different from good character. So may mayhem and destruction. So I guess that means that you have to be willing to stand up and risk destroying something. If you, you know, it takes courage to stand up to that tyrant. Well, really it's the threat of having yourself destroyed. Cause like what is standing between it, yeah. you know, this tyranny, but you really, yeah. And it's, it's easy a lot of pressure. <laughs> it's easy as a lobster to go like find a little oh, hole, shit. but that hole is going to be further and further away from the, you know, the cool lobsters. I hate that. Yes. Cool, cool expressions. I don't like cool. Cool makes kids do bad things. Um, yeah, you're right. So, yeah. And I, I just, he also says that you have a right to want what you want. You have a right to your preferences and you have a right to stand up to them. And I mean, I don't think he said that, but basically you can handle it. Otherwise you wouldn't be a human being with all of this capacity to understand and to create, create the chaos. I mean, we have morality, we have rules, we have this pressure to be nice because we have the, the capacity to destroy and that must be harnessed. So we are very powerful and that's a responsibility to ourselves and the people around us. And I just, you know, it's eye opening. Um, though, and I did like the way he integrated all of those ideas, although I might not have perfectly, but so what, what else did you get out of the first chapter? Um, so I'm a pretty big bio nerd. And so I really enjoyed the fact that we started from basically the building blocks of life and where we came from and how our wiring is ancient. And it's, um, I've said it before about this book, but like, it's kind of like what humbled, humbles me and um, does allow me to sort of respect myself a little bit more and appreciate like where we've all been and where we've all come from. And, um, and uh, another thing is that it kind of like teaches you to, so the stand up straight and put like with your shoulders back, that means you're also ready to pay attention to what's coming at you. And see it clearly and be ready for it. Cause you're going to have to react whether you're a lobster or you're a human, you have to be aware of your surroundings. And so like, that's another big part of this. And, um, and I think, uh, um, yeah, like <laughs> it's just like, we're hardwired to do certain things. And a lot of that, which has survived over the millennia in which we've evolved, like there's a reason we've kept those things. And so, you know, they're a little distracting sometimes, but it's what keeps us um, strong enough and able to manage and make order out of the chaos, which the chaos is inevitable. 
So we're just constantly like taking the chaos, creating order. Um, there's undoubtedly going to be more chaos brought in because that's just, that's just life. That's just nature. And so we have to keep kind of adapting and finding new ways, but like all of this stuff, these mechanisms are, have been with us for since the dawn of time. That's an interesting way of thinking about it because as if you see the world, if you see your um, environment, your natural habitat, let's say as uh, wild and in need of taming. So we don't think of it that way. We think that everything is orderly and we think that we've, mm -hmm. we've conquered it because we've eliminated apex predators from city boundaries. But the fact might be that, that that is just this facade of civilization, the veneer of civilization. And in reality, we have to every day in every way beat back the entropy. I had an uncle who was a priest and he was in Brazil for a while, I think like five years as a missionary. And he, when the people used to complain that we were destroying the rainforest, his point of reference was when he was there with the natives 50 years ago or more. And he said they would try to beat back the rainforest and it would grow back faster than they could beat it back. Like it was a constant struggle to keep nature at bay. And I have a sister who's a pharmaceutical chemist and she's like, man, it is really hard to keep something sterile. Like life just mm. grows everywhere and it is hard to control. It's hard to contain and if we if we don't if we look at the grid of a of a street system then maybe it looks like there's order but because we've kind of gotten into this world and it's going to get worse when we get into the metaverse but when we've gotten into this world where it's so it's so cerebral it's so you know non-physical you can look with your eyes we're so visual and see the order but that doesn't mean it really is orderly and it's incumbent upon each of us to have that sense of order which he probably learned in his religious studies because for me i've never been particularly religious but after i had kids i recognized how much they need structure and how much we need to make sense of things. So I would think of them as, or when I, I went back to the church, I just, I did it because I felt like, you know, like I said, as most people say, I don't like religion, but I'm very spiritual. I'm like, I'm really yeah. not that spiritual, but I like religion because I like, <laughs> you know, because I like the structure and I like, and I, you know, I find Catholicism is extremely like intellectual you and and you the deeper you want to go the deeper it will have insights like this so mm -hmm. i feel like uh there was always in place that framework for you know a sense of order and i think c.s lewis i think it was c.s lewis maybe it's gk chesterton but i think it was c.s lewis who said the idea was to have the regular things need to be change but in a predictable way, like the seasons mm -hmm. are so refreshing. You really look forward to them. They feel so vibrant and rejuvenating or, you know, I needed a rest and we went into winter. But if that becomes, you know, a chronic disordered change, unpredictable change, like the COVID thing, they kept throwing at us, throwing at us. Oh, are we going to do a little I've after session stuff. about the yeah. COVID connection? Okay, that'll, yeah. that'll be great. We'll save that for the... XR, the premium mm -hmm. portion. Uh, so yes, yeah, so I feel like something of value has been lost in in how chaotic a kind of you know every and another guy, Christopher Dawson, said if a if a culture has different religions, they're going to be working at odds towards each other, and that culture cannot progress as a culture. And you know, I feel like these are important points but they've been beaten out of us but it could be that at the heart is just an integrated system value system and the tools for a human being to operate within a a you know a a not necessarily well defined but a coherent cultural environment and i think that that's probably the angle he's coming at and i i find it hopeful but also a little you know i lament for not for the things that that are gone that were bad but i do lament for for that you know for that loss of um of the good you know they threw the baby out with the bathwater i think with the these different cultural revolutions 
So, but, um, yes. Keep and, but I do think like these are, and not all your listeners are libertarians or anarcho-capitalists or anybody sort of on that spectrum. You know, a lot, there's plenty of other people I'm sure that listen to your show, but I do think like, since you and I both are of that variety, um, like Jordan Peterson isn't a libertarian. However, these rules to me, and especially like this first one, it does it, like it's starting with this first one, at least like it's very much to me, like, here's how you create yourself or be a person that can live in the world that you as one of those people who doesn't want a overarching, tyrannical, oppressive government um, ordering everything for you, you're supposed to order it yourself. And like, I think this is like, here's the playbook do it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I think he hasn't asserted a belief in God either. If I understand correctly, last I heard, he did not say that he, I think he God. still doesn't yeah. like, he, so doesn't I mean, answer that. he doesn't answer that yeah. question actually. Yeah, Cause like, he said, what kind of question is that? What do you mean? Yeah. Like, what do you, what's God to you? Yeah. He said he's, I think my understanding of the one way he articulated was if I, if I say I believe in God, can you imagine the implications for my life? So I better be sure that I really mean it. And I thought that too, like I've thought that myself, like if you really believe it, really believe it, I mean, I would be tempted to have a religious life. I mean, I don't have a calling to that, but if I really truly was like, oh, we get an eternity of heaven and we've only got to spend 80, 90 years here, I would probably immediately go volunteer at a leper colony and hope to get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like I you mean, could, yeah. you could do that. I mean, that's what my mother's like. It's like, I just, I cannot wait. I just love Jesus. And she, that's it, you know? And it's so funny. Cause I'm trying to, I don't try to get it to gossip, but you'll say, you know, whatever. I have eight brothers and sisters will say something and she'll yeah. say, I'm not answering that. I just, I'm in the home stretch. You're not getting me to say anything. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> and that's what you do when you that when you really, really believe. So I feel like what he's tapping into are principles, maybe the noble lie of Plato, who says that uh, like the noble lie, I think, were the Greek myths that you're supposed to teach kids. And it was OK if they stopped believing them when they were adults because their character was formed. The value system is there. And I think it was the, was it the Epicureans or something? There was one, like every experiment in culture and politics was Greek, I think. And they, they, the, the ones who like rejected God and were total like libertines in life, just whatever you want to do, because they had been reared with the myth, their character was already formed. And I've witnessed this myself. Like you can reject it, but once your character is formed, you got it. So they were fine. And they thought it worked. And then they had kids and their kids were complete out of control maniacs who did bad things and couldn't, you know, couldn't produce as much as consume or dissipate. And I think I'm probably, you know, I do not have a classical education. So I just pick these. I'm a dilettante. So I pick these things up as I go. Maybe they're not true, but I think they are. And in any case, the point stands if it's true. Uh, all right. OK, so um, do you want to move on to the second chapter? Or do you have more on the first chapter? Um, I think we're probably at a good place to move on to the second one. And especially because I feel like there's a lot more, um, I, well, yeah, let's just, let's move on. <laughs> okay. The second chapter, it's a good thing. I didn't finish the entire, I read the first four chapters twice. And it's a good thing. I didn't read the entire thing because then I'd really be all over the place with all the other things yes. that come up later. Cause it does build on itself. It does. Now, one thing I did not do, and I intentionally did not do it. I don't really listen to Jordan Peterson. I'm not like a fan of whatever. I Somebody told me, oh, before you read that book, read this other book that he's bad, you know, explains the, the manipulative or bullshitty thing or whatever that, um, you know, he's all about. And I don't want that. I don't. I, even if he were a limited hangout, even if he's the here to hopefully, you know, even if he hopes that this will all backfire, it's, it's like any person in history where you can say, well, he, he did this or he did that. It's like, okay, but that's not, then don't, then use your discernment 
Yes. To cut away the stuff that's not good. Those kind I think limited hangouts stuff like that are for people who your their their minds are going to get nabbed one way or another. And it's those of us who actually try to have an open mind and evaluate things without an end goal in mind can get a lot of good out of stuff no matter what. So I'm reading this stuff like chapter by chapter, probably out of any kind of larger context. And I, I, I mean, there is certainly a lot of value here. And I really like being able to focus on things that are positive since my day job is the news, which is pretty much never positive at all. So yes, I would say this is my favorite chapter. And it's is important. it your favorite chapter too? It's probably one of my top like two or three. Right. Okay. Well, I haven't read it all yet. So, all right. Yeah, no, it's good. And it's rule two, which is treat yourself like someone you are responsible for helping. And I just love this one. I love it. I have been, I have found that if you do that, you may actually end up with a more cheerful disposition which like the first chapter, as you show the world a smile, you know, the world smiles back at you. Mm-hmm. Is that, yeah. is that Louis Armstrong? Um, some famous line. So yes, and that's what happens. It's actually what happens. And if you take care of yourself, and here's the thing that happens with me is that I don't have the time to do the things that I really need to do to be, if I were to, t- like I would not treat, you know, my kids, the way I treat myself, like I, I'm annoyed with them when they don't have a hot breakfast. Like, like I made that breakfast. Here. They love it. They always eat it. But I'm just saying I, I wouldn't stand for it. And <laughs> I stand for it for myself. And I, and if you don't have the time to do the basics, then you're really a slave, a slave to, I feel like you're a slave to the world's, the, the world as it's framed itself for you or as it's being framed for you. And like later in the book, he talks about like, you have to really examine your life to see like what you want and what, where you're spending your time and energy. And so I feel like you have to skip forward a little bit to be able to come back and carve out the space you need. And if you really can't take care of yourself, like then we've come to a sorry place in the world and there's probably other places like Idaho, you know, where maybe you could do it. Like maybe it is literally, you got to move. Yeah. But I feel if you can't take care of yourself, then you're not really going to fulfill your purpose. So the one thing, the first thing I wrote down, which was well into the book, uh, into this chapter though, yeah, but it was that you, have to change to grow. Let me let me read the quote. This was one of the quotes I actually wanted to read and discuss. Okay. If I may. Or is that skipping ahead? Go ahead. Okay. All right. It says order is not enough. You can't just be stable and secure and unchanging because there are still vital and important new things to be learned. Nonetheless, chaos can be too much. You can't long tolerate being swamped and overwhelmed beyond your capacity to cope while you are learning what you still need to know. Thus, you need to place one foot in what you have mastered and understood and the other in what you are currently exploring and mastering. Then you've positioned yourself where the terror of existence is under control (laughs) and you are secure, but where you are also alert and engaged. That is where there is something new to master and some way that you can be improved. That is where meaning is to be found. I think that's pretty true. I try not to do that. I don't, I try not to change too many things at once. That's for sure. Um, And I think it really speaks to, I'm sure you've felt it before, but I know there's times where I feel like I'm on autopilot and I'm, And sometimes it is like literally like something else is wrong. Like I'm either sleep deprived or I'm way too busy. I'm way too spread thin. Um, But it also could very well mean that like I'm not doing something new or different or maybe I have fallen into a routine. And even if the routine's like um, what is I'm supposed to do, literally my basic and bare responsibilities, like you need to (laughs) 
for your own self like care and um desire to go on desire to be here um you have to inject something else into that that maybe will shake things up and um and i think that's also like part, kind of part of human nature um and nature itself but we do need that little difference we need to be able to wobble between and um you have to be a very like a pretty stable person in yourself to manage that well and not be overwhelmed and thrown into an emotional crisis or breakdown but without that kind of like imperfect and not always known like not uncertain sort of like where you're going um things get really stale um including like your life and what you think of it it can speak to like there's two ways of looking at i think what you're saying one is this idea of just going through the motions like it's mm -hmm. just dull and then but the other idea and this comes out in the book too is it's good to have muscle memory on the stuff that keeps you healthy yes so if you can't keep your house clean because it's too big or you can't afford a, you know, a maid or whatever, like you need to probably make a change like that to something that you can manage and sustain so that you don't, so that you can make those changes. And I remember my, one of the reasons that I've always persisted in doing the podcast, even when we've moved so many times and um, you know, I have a special needs son and it's get, I have a lot of responsibility, but I never stopped doing it. And I would say the number one reason why, and it has changed over time. It is changing now, but, uh, the number one reason why was something my uncle, the priest said to me, which was when I was getting married, he was the priest who married me. And he said he was very old fashioned, ridiculously old fashioned, really in a way, but he said, you got to keep it interesting. So, you know, maybe while your husband's at work, if you can spare the time, like uh, get French tapes and just learn French. And then one day, like be on the phone when he comes home and just be speaking French to somebody. And he'll just be like, what? Wow. You know, and then he'll just, it'll just, he'll just love you, you know? So I always thought like I'm doing something that, really brings out, you know, uh, some value that is outside the context of the everyday. And that in itself has value, even though it takes away other things of value. I mean, Lord knows I do not make as much bone broth as is demanded around here. Mm. But, uh, but <laughs> I feel like there, and I will say to my kids, like, are you, you know, do I need to do you need me there for every game or whatever? Because I will give this up. And you know, most of the time they say, no, like it's cool what you're doing and we'll be there for you. And that in itself was a good thing. And I just feel like having something that's, so I also, I also feel like if you, you have that and then you can even if I don't have all, and don't have to do all the laundry on Saturday. It's like crop rotation. It's not doing laundry every day will make you crazy. Yeah. But if you're doing a podcast one day and cooking bone broth one day and doing the laundry one day, you can fit in that variety. And it and it has a way of being restful and renewing, even if you're still really busy, I feel. Although yes. you have to eat and keep your house clean. My house is not that clean. My house is not clean right now. <laughs> it's clean uh enough for me and everybody in it though. And that's all it really needs to be. Like, yes. I think when you go overboard with the neat stuff, I, I, my sister has a magnet, like it's a sign of mental illness. And I'm like, well, <laughs> we're going to say that if you're too neat, that you're wrong. But I, I have always secretly aspired to that. Definitely. But, but that's the way their minds, their minds work. And, you know, what, yeah, they what need makes to them do. feel orderly. That's true. Like, exactly. it's hard for me to sit down and do work on a messy desk. I mean, I'm not a neat freak, but I will always like go through my piles and make sure I have you know, I'm not just pushing stuff out of the way. So I have a place to write things down, which of course had me like always cleaning my house and procrastinating and doing schoolwork in the middle mm -hmm. of the night. But it, mm -hmm. I did get through it. I don't do that now. Procrastinating is not good. Okay. Um, yes. it, but I think like to that, like, and it's still sort of building off of the first one, but like develop a routine, stick to it, 
and you know but also give yourself the like forgiveness i think like if you step off that routine you know it, you're not the worst person in the world for having not done your laundry that day or having not clean, cleaned your room that one time or you know you fell asleep and didn't wash your face like sometimes literally <laughs> you asked me before like what kind of this book and the lessons i've learned from it like what it, what when i sort of used to use it but sometimes i literally have to just be like okay maddie wash your face and then tone it and then moisturize it. Don't forget, you've got really nice eye cream too. Use that. You deserve that. Put that eye cream on. Oh. You're taking care of yourself. Yes. That is another book that I read was like mindfulness <laughs> or, you know, self-care yeah. and all of those things are important. And I'm super forgiving of myself nowadays after I learned that stuff because it's actually more productive. So I'm always yeah. like, I always have 10 pounds to lose always have 10 pounds to lose. I gain yes. it, I lose it, I gain it, I lose it, whatever. It doesn't matter. But I started to say like, if I get into this, you know, I just don't want to do that anymore. So you try to eat better and little by little you can. And if you have to indulge yourself once in a while, I mean, that's just part of your life and you are going to have to deal with that. But if you hate yourself and you panic, then you're going to pig out. And that doesn't work either. So I just, I find that, but you know, I'm older now. I used to be, have more like emotional, like I would get more emotional about stuff. It wasn't as easy to just say, you know what? That doesn't even matter. But I'm also in a very stable life. So it's easier for me to just relax and forgive myself and know that tomorrow is going to be fine. Than if I was, you know, sleeping on the couch and my, my parents had so many kids that sometimes they're, you know, if everybody was around, you just wouldn't even have a place to sleep. And things were a little disordered and scary. And, you know, when you, that's why it is important to have those kind of necessities taken care of. I really don't think you can, you can do anything for yourself if you don't have all those necessities taken care of. It'd be really hard um, because you, you're, you literally on like some primal level would be freaking out about the lack of those bare necessities. Yeah, it's traumatic. Yes, it's traumatic. It, it takes all your energy. But he goes back to one of those things I think I read in the Boundaries book, which is, it is far better to render beings in your care competent than to protect them. Mm -hmm. And it's so, so true. And you really do. And a, a wise person told me when my kids were little that kids get self-confidence out of overcoming challenges, not out of getting hugs. So you can give him a hug after he strikes out on baseball, but first he's got to go up to the plate. And I'm not great at that, but it was great advice. And thank goodness I at least had it. You know, I tried that. I always kept that in mind. Like these kids have to get through these challenges on their own and you can be there for them, but they've got to do that. And it is, and then, and then hopefully we have competent people and Lord knows we're going to need them because this world is, I mean, if you can't think on your feet and have some confidence to go out the door and growing up in, in these past couple of years, I can't. Is it <sighs> Monica, tell me if it's crazy that in some ways I'm like, just collapse so I can stop dealing with my stupid timesheets <laughs> and the dumb shit that like does bog down my life with, I'm sorry if I'm cussing. Yeah, no, it's fine. Too. No, no. Um, but I'm almost just like, let me go survive because other people can't. And I know I can, but all these stupid things are getting in my way. And I, I'm I mean, exhausted. that's when that's when it's really <laughs> important to this is something we talk about in our house, because a lot we all have different views on the real nature of how the world is ordered and the true nature of power in the world. And as everybody in my house goes out and does their thing, I never I'm I am not one to be like, you have to go to a good college. You have to get good grades. You have to go to this kind of school. Just, I'm not like that at all. Like if they didn't want to go to school, I would homeschool them. If they want to go live on a farm, that's fine, too. And everybody kind of acknowledges that we're all opting in. We're all opting in. And if if you see that it's easier to deal with what you're opting into and you can do with open eyes. And if 
you look at that with open eyes and you can say, I'm not really opting in. Like this is against my will. I haven't really weighed the pros and cons of what I'm doing in my life. Then you might want to make a different choice, but you have to be honest with yourself about that. And that is scary. I think that's a scary place to be. And then, um, so like going back to the whole point of this chapter and what he's trying to tell you and teach you, um, as the reader is that, um, you know, most people really are, um, thinking that they're, they themselves are inadequate and, um, I'm no, I'm very much a victim to this. I'm super self-deprecating and there's, you know, it's sometimes just (laughs) like, um, paralyzing sort of anxiety about me being imperfect and totally on a separate note that's where the enneagram comes in and what type i am but um and that was you know another round of my self-learning and self-forgiveness path but so you know but you as a mom maybe as a friend like we all have these people who probably feel the same way about themselves but what do we do when they're having these problems or expressing these like concerns you you build them up you try not you know blow smoke up their you know (laughs) but um but you try to give them sound advice um and like i often especially like after reading this book like anytime i do provide advice to a friend Oftentimes, I know that they're not going to take it. They're not going to listen, whatever, because a lot of people have to learn things the hard way and they've got to figure it out for themselves. But so literally, I often like give advice that I'm thinking to myself, do I need this advice? I probably do. But is is it worthwhile to give? I think so. I'm going to say it. I'm taking it back upon myself, too. Hmm. But I think it's important. That's interesting. Gosh, I'll have to, I'll have to see if I am, I guess that that is in a way almost necessary because you can't really have an insight into the right course if you don't feel like you have an experience that parallels that and have learned a lesson or feel like you should take that advice. But can you tell people what is the Enneagram? So the Enneagram, um, they say it's like the roadmap back to you. And it's a, it's a very, it's a Christian tradition um, really, but like you don't even have to be a Christian or religious at all to, I think, um, use it as a tool. Um, But there's nine personality types and it kind of talks about how like you were born one way, certain things happened to you in your life, traumatic, mildly traumatic, where you were in your life might have made them more traumatic. Looking back, you're like, that's silly that that was really like a quote unquote trauma. But I I have very specific memories in my mind that I think are responsible for changing me into this other type. It, it, it's like everybody's kind of got this trajectory. And so everybody's got a certain type and there's subtypes and it kind of like helps you figure out who you are, what your strengths are, like when you're integrated and like when everything's working right for you, which like where, what sort of personality um, might you display, but also the inverse, like when things are not going on, when you are in chaos, when your life is disordered and you are stressed, like who are, who are you then? And what are those personality types and really like what are the wrong sort of things you're exhibiting? Um, Because really like, uh, so for example, I think like when I'm as a, I'm a type one, which is the perfectionist and the, um, uh, it's like a, I, I take it as, um, and I think we all, any type one does is that it's not, I'm not expecting anybody else to be perfect. I'm supposed to be perfect. And (laughs) it's like I said, paralyzing at times. That is, Um, that is tough. It's tough. And, um, but I think it, you know, totally makes sense for who I am, like what I believe, like how I come to these principles of like, you know, it starts with you, the individual, you are a sovereign being, it is your responsibility, kind of your problem, and you've got to figure it out. And so Maddie, you're supposed to be the best, right? Like, <laughs> gosh, that is a burden. And I, I mean, I don't know if I, ha- I can't imagine having i think i always feel like the perfectionists are the ones with those super neat as a pen houses well so it's a problem that my house isn't neat as a pen oh that bums you out oh totally i mean i think that's funny 
it's um <laughs> it's not uh, no, it might be neat as a pin i can't see it it could just it's be not. that you're saying it's not neat as a pin because it's you're a perfectionist I, i'm it's like i'm almost like a moral perfectionist like my self morality my like internal compass like i need to adhere to this straight as a like straight as a board um lifestyle even though like you know i'm not straight edge or like i was never that kid do you have cocktails it, like yeah like so I, there you I, go. That's I know. You're not too. You're not too bad. You're exactly. not too like, I'm on. like I'm not. But um, it's like if I don't adhere to these things, like I think there's a problem, and it's me. But I know most people aren't like that. Right. Well, the there's no way out of the perfectionist trap. You know, you have to kind of abandon being a perfectionist because you can't be perfect. Although one of the lines on page fifty nine is that we are kinotic. Kinotic. I don't even know what that means. Or I guess he says low resolution versions of God. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's where her standards come from. But he said, uh, at the same time, we we're also the sinner and we must love the sinner, which is yourself. And there is a, a Catholic concept called affirmation deprivation disorder. So if you don't love yourself, you can't be charitable. You can't love others. And that comes from maybe not being affirmed, people not making it clear that you are loved. So I always think that's important to love yourself so that you can love others. I always put my oxygen mask on first, as they say, Mm -hmm. you know, but you can't even then, how do you strike the exact right balance? But one, one thing that did come out um, in this chapter for me was that I heard this, it's like verbizing. I hate it when you make a verb out of a noun, uh-huh. but it's. I enjoy that. <laughs> I can't stand it. As a Calvin and Hobbes, I once saw said, verbizing weirds language. And it does. But here I'm going to verbize. And the advice was do not fragilize, fragilize other people. So when I'm afraid of saying no to my kids or whatever, I am worried that they can't handle it, you know, and what you're probably doing is making kids who can't handle it. And then they get a little bit of hard knocks and then they can handle it because they're really not fragile. None of us is really, I mean, I guess there are eggshell psyches, but that I think is really an extreme case. Like I say with my son who has down syndrome, you can say that there are people who can't work and need welfare, but like my son who has half the IQ of of his siblings can could actually make enough money to buy food with work that people will pay him to do bagging groceries or something. So people, you can function at a pretty low level and still be good enough to handle this world. I think that's awesome. And um, like it's good, it ties into like both, I think, one and two, and how they build on each other. Um, like everybody's different, everybody's imperfect, but you should kind of just, you know, give yourself a little pat on the back, appreciate where you are, appreciate, you know, what you've done and what you can do. And that's it, you know, um, like everybody's got their place. And I think that's, Incredible. That's the parable of the talents again. Did yeah, we start exactly. with that? Yeah, well, we did, but I or think was that um, maybe off air. Eh, we were probably recording them. Yeah, I think we were. I think we were. So I have a couple of more things from this chapter. Mm-hmm. And then that might be a nice place to wrap. Actually, before, just so like, yep. since um, uh, one thing that you um, said, the fragilizing, well, it's like the actual infantilizing. And that's not. Um, it's not something you want to do to anybody and you wouldn't want anybody to do it to you. I think like if you're a self-respecting person. Um, And so it kind of like ties into a lot of that's going on in this chapter where he um, goes to the Genesis stories and he's talking about Adam and Eve in the garden and when they wake up and um, you know, and, and part of like where this vulnerability and our understanding and being self-conscious is uh, like, we woke up, we saw ourselves naked and we were the naked apes and (laughs) God, you know, banished us from infancy is the line. Um, I, I pulled that quote, like he, we were banished from infancy. And it means like, because we were awake, we, we had that, we gained that consciousness. Um, 
we can no longer be children. We have it. To accept the, the consequences. We're responsible. Yeah, we're responsible for it, and we have the capacity, and that's why we we're. Do. That's why we're here. That's why the world is thus. That's why we have these opportunities because we've demonstrated responsibility. And actually, probably the biggest thing that's wrong with the world right now is that that fear is preyed upon by those who would suck away your autonomy in order to control it themselves. And that's that's that ever-growing state, which upsets me that on this page 62, the top full sentence on page 62 is, get this, hatred for self and mankind must be balanced with gratefulness for tradition and the state Ugh. and astonishment at what normal everyday people accomplish to say nothing of the staggering achievements of the truly remarkable. He just slipped that in there. I Gratitude know. for the state. I mean, I might have to, I might have to hunt down him discussing that at some point because I try, I try in this like kind of post libertarian wave i try to find some hope that maybe this is just a glitch in in the government or the state that it really maybe really is valid and and is the natural state of things but i just i cannot see it i cannot see it i want to see it but i cannot see it i'm I, on that journey and i invite people along on that journey with me i'm doing two more my next two interviews are with uh one is trad cat night and I'm going to ask him because he's a traditional Catholic. And uh, I think historically, church and state were not considered separate or mm -hmm. that was not the ideal. And then Pete Q, I'm going to talk to him soon about kind of, I think he's he's in that post-libertarian mindset. I hate to put words or labels, but anyway, so I am pursuing those ideas. I'm trying hard, but a gratitude for the state, I think it would be, I, I don't think I'll li live to see that for no. sure. Not. And I get that, you know, the whole thing he's saying is, um, or at least I think like what I've taken away from listening to his lectures too, is that he does think people are throwing the baby out with the bathwater and mm -hmm. that, and it's, it's not even like these, us, I, it's not directed at people like us or, you know, the post libertarians even, it's, it's not directed at people like it's us. It's directed at like the left that wants to overthrow and establish chop or Chaz in Seattle. Right. And so even though like, you know, it repulses me to see something like that, like that sentence you just read, I totally like reread that and saw that. And I was like, ugh, like that is one of his weaknesses, I think. And that's one of those places where I completely like diverge from a cohesive uh, or like agreeing um, agreement with him. Well, I'll bring up another analogy I used recently, a call to mine recently when I was in graduate school and I was hanging out with the smokers like I did in high school too. And the one cool of kids? them, said, yeah, they were definitely the cool kids. Mm -hmm. Too cool. That's the thing. Cool is not always good. So they said, I was a smoker and they said, you know, isn't it weird how really smart people all smoke? And then someone else said, yeah, but really, really smart people don't smoke. And we were all like, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So, so I'm not defending this guy. I'm just, I'm just saying, isn't it weird how all the really smart people are libertarians? And then maybe the really, really smart people, you know, I'm not, I can't even bring myself to say it, but who knows? Maybe, maybe history has been rewritten so thoroughly that it has obscured that moment in time where everything came together perfectly because actually like what's happening now, things were working fine and uh, like supply chain issues and all that. They had to, they had to create those problems because things were working fine. Yeah, It was working despite itself. So I would say on page 63 are a whole lot of like things you need to do. And I might rattle them off. Uh, you must determine where you're, you are going so that you can bargain for yourself and don't end up resentful, vengeful, and cruel. Mm -hmm. You have to articulate your own principles so that you can defend yourself against others taking inappropriate advantage of you and so that you are secure and safe while you work and play. You must discipline yourself carefully. 
You must keep the promises you make to yourself and reward yourself so that you can trust and motivate yourself. You need to determine how to act towards yourself so that you are most likely to become and to stay a good person. It would be good to make the world a better place. Heaven, after all, will not arrive of its own accord. We will have to work to bring it about and strengthen ourselves so that we can withstand the deadly angels and flaming sword of judgment that God used to bar its entrance. Yeah. He said, don't <laughs> underestimate the power of vision and direction. I think that's true. I actually do. I think you, I don't know if it was in this one. My, my upshot was there that it was basically we can change the world one life well lived at a time was my upshot from that. And I think that's great because that's all we have the power to do. Exactly. And that's even like yogic wisdom mm -hmm. as well as like Christian wisdom. It's ever, it's probably every, all wisdom probably comes down to that simple fact that the only person you can control, the only thing you really have control over is your own will. And I love it. Yep. That's what we have. And, um, you know, it's not to be taken lightly. No, because it can, and it, because it can make that kind of difference, which is positive. Right. And that's why I invented a phrase. I coined a phrase recently, the, uh, the chronic refusal to be conscious, a chronic refusal to be conscious. I consider to be, so in law, there's this uh, idea of actus reus, like the act, and then mm -hmm. uh, mens rea, which is your mindset when you do it. And the same thing with Catholicism. You go to confession, you have to like, if it's a mortal sin, it has to be a grievous offense, but it has to be full. You have to have full reflection um, and sufficient reflection and full consent of the will for it to really qualify as a mortal sin. Otherwise it could be a venial sin, but you're not going to hell unless you really know what you're doing. And I just feel like it's very easy to make sure you don't know what you're doing mm. if you don't really want to do the right thing. Yeah. So this idea of one life at a time it, and what you're saying is like, you don't, don't just say, well, I'm doing fine. I'm doing oh great. And I'm just, I'm good. It's like, mm, you got to really think about it. You got to really think about it and own, you know, if you have bad feelings and thoughts, like you should face them down, I think is, I mean, there's, there's, he doesn't shy away from the should word, not too yeah. much. Yeah. I've been trained to shy away from that, but. I think there's again, nothing wrong with it. Um, yeah. Like you, you, it, it's something that like really should be imposed upon yourself. Ultimately, like you're supposed to be your own referee and your, um, your guard really like your goalkeeper all of that. And, um, but it's, it's how, <laughs> how yeah. we move on and how we survive. So do you have anything else on these first two chapters? Um, not really. I think, um, some unique additional things I have to bring to the table. We could consider bonus. Okay. Let's do it. Let's, uh, let's try to, Apply some of this stuff to the here and now, especially this crazy time that we've just experienced. So this will end the free portion of our discussion. And anyone who is interested in some premium content may join us on, uh, for us, patreon.com slash propaganda report, propreport.locals.com and rockman.com slash propaganda report. And how about you, Maddie? Well, um, all our content on the Voluntary Vixens podcast is free and available wherever you can find podcasts or the easiest place to go find everything about us is voluntaryvixens.com. Okay, great. So you're making a gift to our premium subscribers. That's very nice. Of you. Yes, you're welcome. 